Good morning and welcome to this worship service. Today we're gathering virtually here again and uh, thank you for logging on to YouTube to watch. Um, our church, Victoria CRC, is in conversation uh, about what the summer will look like and uh, what it might look like for us to resume worship um, in, uh, in, in sort of a normal way here in the sanctuary. I ask that you be patient with uh, the leaders of a church, of our church, as we, as we work through that. Um, and uh, we'll hopefully have something to share with you in, in the next couple weeks. At this time, I invite you to join me in this call to worship. We'll be reading from Psalm 100. Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Please join me in prayer. We thank you, Lord God, that your faithfulness extends to us. We gather in Christ's name today uh, to worship you and to be renewed in our relationship with you. And we pray, Lord, that you'd use this service to build up your church and to empower, empower us to bear witness to your ways in the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, the Lord is with you. Receive his greeting for you today. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Let's sing. Creation love 
congregation. Uh, today I'm continuing my impromptu series on current events. Uh, for those of you who know me, you know that it's generally not my style uh, to let the news dictate the sermon series. My goal as preacher is not to comment on everything that's happening in the world. My goal is to preach Christ and to encourage his people uh, to serve and to encourage God's people to serve Christ faithfully in the world. But every so often, every so often things happen in the world that, that cause us to pause and, and to think critically on what it looks like to follow Jesus faithfully in the world. And I believe that what's been happening lately calls us to think uh, critically and to be discerning um, as Christians in the world. Last week, I engaged uh, President Trump's photo op in front of St. John's Episcopal Church. Today, we're going to engage the topic of racism, name it as sin, and explore how the gospel of Jesus Christ offers us and the world a better way. Uh, we'll be reading today from Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 11. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, remember that formerly, you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. 
But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God to the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to those who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Dear friends of Jesus Christ, this past week I read um, a a number of different articles about race and racism, uh, things that I had found on the internet, um, and I read two pieces in particular that just really moved me. One was written by a black hip-hop artist from Philadelphia named Shai Lin. Uh, Shai wrote an article called George Floyd and Me, and in the article he shared um, Uh, some of his experiences as growing up as a black man in America. When Shai was 12 years old, he went to a store to buy shoes with some money that he got from his birthday. It took him a long time to choose which pair he wanted, and before he could choose, the store manager asked him to leave for taking too much time. When Shai became a teenager, he began noticing that white women would cross the road and walk on the other side when they saw him approaching on the sidewalk. Eventually, he began crossing the road first to save him and them the embarrassment. On another occasion, on his way home from a college class, police officers cornered Shai, they cuffed him, and they threw him in the back seat of their cruiser. There he waited until a white woman showed up, and Shai knew that his immediate fate rested in the hands of that woman. If she said it was him, the person that she called the cops on, he knew that he'd be carted off to the precinct, no questions asked. When Shai had his first baby, a friend from church um, told Shai and his wife that they could uh, borrow their infant child swing. Um, I'm going out for the day, this girl said to Shai, and I'll leave the swing on the front porch. You can pick it up any time in the afternoon. This friend lived in a white suburb outside Washington, D.C., and as Shai approached in his car, his heart was beating like crazy. He sat in the car weighing the odds. If I go and get the swing, will someone call the cops on me, or will I be okay? Shai always leaves his kids' car seats in the car, and when police pull him over, because they pull him over often, he says, he makes sure to put both hands on the steering wheel with his wedding ring uh, in plain sight 
He wants the police officer to know that he's a family man. First impressions make a difference. And Shai continued to share stories just like this of his experience of growing up black in America. The infant swing story really hit me hard uh, because I've done that myself. People have said, oh, you can borrow this. Just pick it up. I'll leave it on the front porch. And I go and pick it up, and I don't think about anyone calling the cops on me. That's just not a fear I carry around. The other impactful article I read this week was written by a political commentator named David French. French is a thoughtful conservative. His blog is brilliantly titled The French Press. Uh, French grew up in a very moral home. His parents condemned racism and taught him that all people had dignity and were worthy of respect. But they were also wary of those who believed that racism uh, was baked into the system, systematic racism, you hear people say. In French's mind, racism was not a systematic problem, but more of a personal problem. But then French adopted a young black girl from Ethiopia named Naomi, and his perspective changed. When Naomi arrived, French wrote in his article, strange events, uh, incidents started happening. At their neighborhood pool, a white woman called Naomi out of the pool and demanded she point out her parents. This happened even though Naomi was clearly wearing the bracelet that signified that she had paid and was allowed to be in the pool. Later on, a police officer approached Naomi in a department store he asked her what she was doing there. French reflects that that kind of thing never happened to his white daughter. Schoolmates resisted Naomi's invitations for them to come over to her house to play. One told her that she was not allowed to play in neighborhoods where black people lived. All these experiences and more gave French a new perspective on racism in his country. He's still a little bit skeptical of some of the aspects of the systemic racism conversation, but he's experienced too much of it to dismiss the conversation completely. I began this sermon with these stories from, uh, from our neighbors south of the border because I wanted to begin with stories, with people's experiences. I think they can help us make sense of what's happening right now in the United States. George Floyd's murder was not an isolated event. And the protests that followed are not an overreaction to an isolated event. The, the fire has been smoldering for generations, and George Floyd's murder was simply a shot of rocket fuel to that fire. All of us have been forced to think about race and racism over the last two weeks. The story of George Floyd's death and the resulting protests is now a bigger story than the coronavirus, if you can believe it. What else will 2020 give us? And as your pastor, I want to help us in our community think biblically about the issue of race and racism, that, might, that we might be informed of God's will and obedient to the way of Jesus Christ. In the world. To that end, I have three points to make this morning. Three simple points, I think. 
Racism is sin. Racism is a deep human problem. And the solution is point number three, and that is, in Christ, God is breaking down walls and rebuilding his diverse family. So number one, racism is sin. Right away, we need to define our terms here. What is racism? What is sin? And how is racism a sin? In the Christian Reformed Church, uh, the Christian Reformed Church were per, uh, produced a report on race. It was called God's Diverse Family. And in that report, they defined racism like this. Racism is a prejudicial attitude and or behavior directed against persons on the basis of their race. Racism may manifest itself interpersonally as well as institutionally. So what is racism? Racism is a prejudicial attitude and or behavior directed at a person based on their race. In high school, I worked uh, with a company in Cambridge, uh, Cambridge, Ontario, um, I did windows and doors with them. And I was just, you know, high school help, so they'd always match me up with someone uh, who knew what they were doing. And one summer, I was matched up with a man named Zenin. Zenin was a chain-smoking Polish immigrant with a thick European accent. He ate raw onions like apples and loved pickled fish. And his truck was a combination of all those smells. Because Zenin's accent was thick, I sometimes had to function like a translator for him with customers. One day we, we replaced the windows um, of a small bungalow that was owned by an elderly English woman. She too was uh, an immigrant from England. She immigrated after the Second World War. As, as soon as she heard Zenin speak, uh, and she heard that thick European accent, she recoiled, she backed away, and she wouldn't speak to him for the rest of the day. From her perspective, perspective, Zenin looked and sounded like a German man. And this woman, a survivor of the Second World War, hated Germans. She told me this, and she only spoke with me for the rest of the day. That's racism. Dismissing or ignoring someone not based on something that they've said or done as an individual, but because they look or sound like a member of a group that you don't like. In the 1940s, here in Canada, 90% of all Japanese Canadians were rounded up off the coast of British Columbia, or they were living along the coast of British Columbia, and they were sent to internment camps in the interior. They lost their property, their possessions, their businesses. They were considered a threat because of uh, you know, Japan's role in World War II. And they were held there against their will, Canadian citizens. That's racism too. Um, segregating people out because of the shape of their face or the color of their skin. The world is a complex place, too complex to fully understand. And so our, brain, uh, our brains try to simplify things 
And one of the things we do to make things more manageable, to simplify things, is to group people together and, and to come to conclusions about them based on the group that we've assigned them to. I was driving down the highway the other day, for instance, as an example of this, and in front of me there was a beat-up old classic car. Um, it was spewing black smoke out its tailpipe. The, the windows of the car were down, and I saw this long, thick black hair just blowing in the wind. And as, as I pulled up alongside of the car and I, I looked at who was driving the car, I noticed that it was a, a First Nations man. And the immediate thought that came to my head was, I thought so. I thought it was one of them, you know. Fits my stereotype of, uh, that's built into me that my mind has come to to try to make the world manageable. What narratives come to mind when you drive through a First Nations reserve? What narratives come to mind when you drive through a black neighborhood in the United States or in Toronto or an Asian community in Richmond or Vancouver? What comes to mind? How do you simplify the world and put people into a specific box to try to make sense of them? Friends of ours adopted a black baby girl a number of years ago. And when they showed this new baby girl off to their friends, one of them said, look at those fingers. She's going to be good at basketball. Like, basketball? I mean, what about piano? Or, or knitting? Or playing the cello? Why basketball? Because this was a little black baby. And in that person's mind, they had simplified the world and said, she's got long fingers. She's black. She must be playing basketball. Now being stereotyped as a good basketball player is sort of a harmless stereotype. But other conclusions we draw about people and groups to make things manageable for our minds are anything but harmless. Racism is looking down upon or acting in a negative way towards someone based upon the group that you've assigned them to. Racism shows up in interpersonal ways through racist slurs or, or put-downs or in some case physical violence against, about, against people who have a different skin tone than you. So it shows up in interpersonal ways, but it also manifests itself in institutions and as a society as a whole. In a way, there's a degree to which racism is baked into the system, like salt. An easy way to understand systemic racism, I think, is to shift for a moment from race to disability. Imagine living your life in a wheelchair because you can no longer walk, or maybe you were born unable to walk. One thing you realize quite quickly is that the world has been designed for walkers, not wheelchairs. So for instance, Try, and, try to go downtown Victoria in a wheelchair and try to go the places you want to go. Nearly every store has a front stair or maybe a front stair or two. Try to get up that with your, with your wheelchair. You'll see all your friends go down the stairs to the Inner Harbor and you'll have to stay up top and just look. You'll see all your friends walk the steps of the legislature 
and you'll have to stay on level ground and just look. Everything has been constructed for walkers and people who can climb stairs. And it's only recently that things have begun to change, change, right? Now we have ramps instead of stairs. The buses are equipped with hydraulics to accommodate people with wheelchairs. New builds don't have front steps to enter the front door. You can just roll right in. So, you know, the old way that we built, where it was built for people who could walk, and anyone who had a wheelchair would just notice all the barriers everywhere, and everyone who is able-bodied and can walk, you don't even see it. You don't even see it. You're blind to the systemic issues that face people in wheelchairs. Systemic racism works a little like this. Those who are part of the dominant culture have a hard time seeing it, but other people experience it a few or every day. In the United States, uh, they have a history of systemic injustice and racism. Here are a few examples. After World War II, Americans were returning from service in the war were eligible for the GI Bill. They were basically given a down payment to purchase their first homes. White people were eligible for this benefit, but black people who served in the same military were not. When Amer another example, when American cities were expanding and when the interstate system was being set up in the United States, cities had to look at their maps and figure out where to put the, where to put the highway how to carve up the city with you know, this huge piece of concrete that just goes right through it. Well, they didn't choose to put the interstates through the white neighborhoods. They chose to run them through the black neighborhoods. What happens to your property value when an interstate gets built in your backyard? It plummets. So that's just another example of how this injustice, this racism was baked into the system, their way of doing life together. Another example was the difference between how um, uh, drug, drug users were prosecuted. Uh, you know, in the 70s and 80s, cocaine was very big in white communities, and you, there was less of offense to get caught with cocaine than crack cocaine, which was more prevalent in black communities. Um, so the crime was not equal, and what ended up happening is um, a lot of black Americans uh, who were caught smoking crack got huge prison terms, whereas white folks getting caught doing cocaine got off the hook a lot easier. These are just a few examples of how racism was, was built into the system. And the same is true today in, in, in other uh, situations. Um, black graduates of universities in the United States are two times less likely to find a job than their fellow white graduates. Are they less qualified than, other, than, than their, their white peers? No. What, what's happening here is that people tend to hire folks that they trust, folks that look like them, and often subconsciously you're choosing people that fit into your tribe, people that look like you people that sound like you. And since many positions of authority are still held by, um, by white folks, you know, they tend to hire accordingly. 
And you know, maybe this example is a lot closer to home, but I, I thought I'd share it anyway. I think there's even a little bit of institutional racism right here in our own church. Maybe this will make sense to you. I have noticed, for instance, that whenever an exchange student from Holland comes to Victoria and comes to our church, that exchange student is welcomed with open arms, they're invited over for dinner, they quickly make all kinds of connections and have all kinds of social opportunity um, almost instantaneously. But if someone comes in who's, say, Asian or from another part of the world, they're enfolded a lot less quickly. They won't get invited out for lunch uh, by people in our church, at least not right away. They have to work twice as hard to fit into our group than someone from a Dutch background does. And that makes sense to a degree because, you know, there's we're so tribal as humans we 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 have our cultural communities and when someone from outside but has the same culture comes into our cultural community it's like oh i know you i trust you i speak the same language as you there's instant trust and relationship that's built it's it's a very it's a very human thing and yet it's also an example i think of just uh systemic racism within our own community all this is to say is that racism is a real thing that's prevalent and here's the second point it is sin and by sin i mean that racism misses the mark it falls short of the target that god has set for how humans are to engage and to treat one another in the beginning god formed humanity out of the dust of the earth he breathed life into them in the image of God, he made them, male and female, he created them. Humanity is a reflection of the diversity and the unity of the triune God. God is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's a triunity, but he's still one God. And since human beings are made in God's image, it's no wonder that we come in all different shapes and colors and sizes. Like our creator, there is diversity within humanity. And yet the differences don't make us different species. Like God, we are one, together, human. And what does God require of us? What kind of living uh, hits, hits the bullseye, hits the mark? To hit the bullseye is to treat every person you meet with dignity, to respect them as your equal, to see in them someone made in the image of God. This doesn't erase difference between people. Some people are taller. Some people are shorter. Some people are red and yellow, black and white. We come, humans come in all different uh, colors and shapes. Um, but everyone, whatever their color or capacity, has the same value and is to be treated with the dignity that that value demands. And racism misses the mark. It is an offense against God's way. It is sin. The beginning of the scriptures make this clear, and, and the end of the scriptures makes, make this clear too. In the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, John gives us this imaginative picture of the end of history. 
And in it, we see this dramatic picture of, of reconciliation. Um, the reconciliation between heaven and earth and, and the reconciliation of, of peoples in, in God's new community. We get this picture of, of the lamb on the throne and, and people from every tribe, tongue, and language um, gathered around the throne, worshiping God, singing, salvation belongs uh, to, to the one who sits on the throne. Um, it's this picture of, of diversity and unity in Christ. Um, the white people are not above the black people, you know. All are together in Christ. That's the bullseye. That's God's diverse family. That's God's will. Yellow, red, black, white, united in Christ-centered worship. There is no, new, uh, no room for racism in the new creation. So how do we get there? How do you eradicate this, this stain from the human race? The political right will tell you that the problem is not that big and can be dealt with through personal responsibility and fair laws in society. The political left will tell you that the problem is thoroughly baked into the system and that the only way to get, get it out is to overturn the system itself. But Christians see things differently. From our perspective, racism is not simply a political problem. It's a human problem. The problem is not the culture or the racist institutions. The problem is us. The problem, put most specifically, is me. Each one of us individually. And that's point number two. Racism is not just a white person problem. It's a human problem. Long before the Europeans colonized Africa, African tribes were trying to colonize one another. And you could be killed simply because you were part of a different tribe. They didn't like each other. They were warring against each other. The same was true about life in North America before the Europeans settled. The First Nations weren't all one big happy family before the Europeans came. These tribes were trying to colonize one another. They were racist towards one another. They probably had racial slurs that they, that they said of, of, of different tribes. The story of the world really is this story of tribal warfare. One group demonizing another, claiming superiority over another. And then we tell stories and, uh, to reinforce this message. What Hitler did to the Jews in Europe was totally awful, but it's not like that was a one-time event in history. This kind of thing, this racial injustice and, and, and putting down another group uh, based on skin color or whatever, this has been happening for a long, long time, since the beginning. And overturning the old white boys club doesn't get rid of the problem, because another form of racism will simply rise up to replace it. And that's because, from a biblical perspective, white people are what's wrong with the world. Human beings are what's wrong with the world. The problem is in here. I need to be overturned in order to be the kind of person um, that God has created me to be. Enter the solution. And this is point number three. Jesus breaks down the walls 
and creates a new humanity in himself. One of the most countercultural characteristics of the early church was that it was a multicultural, multi-class, multi-gender movement. Rich merchants like Lydia, Gentile merchants like Lydia, ate at the same table with educated Jews like Paul. And former Roman soldiers like the jailer and his family had communion with the rescued slave girl. The community of Christ was made up of men and women, slave and free, Jew and Gentiles, and nothing like this existed in Rome. No other religion brought this many people together under the same roof. And it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy at all. There are points of tension between people groups all throughout the New Testament. And yet whenever the gospel was proclaimed and lived out, Jesus, through his spirit, began building a new, diverse community in himself. Paul delivered the message and championed this again and again, constantly inviting Jew to be in relationship with Gentile and to see themselves as, as a new humanity in Christ, that Christ had torn down the walls of hostility that existed between them, to keep them separate, to keep them apart, that in his body he had broken this old system and he was this new foundation of a new people being built up upon Christ. And this new people, their primary identity was not in the color of their skin or their history or the language they spoke, but their new identifying factor was that they had faith in Christ Jesus and that they were um, a part of God's new uh, the new thing that God was doing in the world. We read about this so beautifully in Ephesians, Ephesians 2. For he himself is our peace, Paul writes, who has made the two groups one, Jew and Gentile, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, members of his household. It's just that it's this new thing. This new thing was happening, and it all came together in Christ. I believe strongly that racism is going to be with us for a long time. And I also believe strongly that Jesus is the one who creates the beloved community, this church, this diverse family, and that we, as that family, are invited to, to be a witness to something different, to be a witness to what God is doing in the world, bringing together all people in worship to the one who sits on the throne. Jesus targets the problem the problem is not the old white man's club, you know. The problem is the human heart. And through the death and resurrection of Jesus, and as we, we come into that story, we ourselves get made new and we start to see the world in different ways. And to see it not so much as, oh, I'm a, I'm a tall white guy, but no, I'm a, 
I am a sinner saved by grace. I am in Christ. I am, I am humbled and, and brought into this new family. And my black brother, he's my brother in Christ. And my Asian sister, she's my sister in Christ. And together we are one in God's diverse family. Jesus changes our identity and the way we identify ourselves. Instead of seeing ourselves as white or black, Jew or Gentile, we are see ourselves as sinners saved by grace and adopted. Yes, we are still different colors. Jesus doesn't eradicate differences. And that's not unimportant. You know, it's, it's part of the beauty. The, the differences are part of the beauty of God's diverse family. A mosaic is more beautiful than a white or black washed wall. It takes work for the church to be who we are in Christ. It takes intentionality to not allow the church to drift back into dividing along cultural or racial lines. And it will take work for an invite. And it will take work for ice. Uh, for, I'm having a hard time today. <laughs> Stringing my sentences together. But it ta- will take work for us to invite people who are different than us over for dinner. And it's everyone's responsibility to, 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 to foster this new humanity that Christ is building in our midst, to be a part of the solution. But it's well worth the effort for any, anything less. If we settle for just staying with our own little tribe, keeping things divided around racial lines, if we settle for that, it is less of a witness to the awesome restoration project that God is accomplishing in Christ. And could this be what the world most needs to see at such a time as this? Could it be that they need to see a community of diverse people who are humbly submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ and not trying to colonize each other or or be stronger or better or whatever, but humbly submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, eating at the same table, uh, I think I think this is so needed. And will we commit ourselves to being a part of this? I've seen, I am the problem. I need to be changed. Lord, change me. Put me into your new family. Help me to love people who are different from me. And, and witness to your way on, in the world. The end picture is not just white people or black people. Asians or Hispanics, you know, it's, it's, it's all people together worshiping the lamb who sits on the throne. That's a picture I want to be a part of. Let's engage that together. Amen. Please join me in prayer. And, uh, as I go through this prayer, there'll be a, a part that I want you to speak aloud with me, so um, the words will appear on your screen in a moment. Let's pray. Lord God, we acknowledge a few things here today, together, that racism is real, that racism is a sin, and that we participate in racism, Lord. Through the narratives we develop in our minds, through the ways we uh, treat other people, 
Um, and for some of the uh, institutions we participate in, that we don't even see, Lord, the racism that's prevalent. Lord, we take a moment to confess our own role in this and ask for you to change us. We ask too, Lord, that you would build up your church, that it might be a reflection of who you truly are, and that people might see, um, uh, come to, might come to uh, give glory to you, Lord, because of the diversity and unity they see in your body. May our church be a part of that solution, Lord, and bearing witness to that, that goodness. And we just want to pray this prayer of confession today, Lord, together. Just naming aloud this, um, this reality and asking for your forgiveness. So hear our confession, we pray. God of all nations, we praise you that in Christ, the barriers that have separated humanity are torn down. Yet we confess our slowness to open our hearts and minds to people of other lands, tongues, and races. Deliver us from the sins of fear and prejudice. Forgive us when we try to reestablish the walls that you have torn down through the bro broken body and precious blood of your Son, our Lord. Pour out your Spirit upon us, we pray, that together we may be a witness to the reconciling work of Jesus Christ. He is our peace. Amen. Let's respond together with, with this song, O God of Every Nation. Sunday. 
Last week, I encourage you to, um, to talk about the sermon with one another so that we could be discerners together of what is good and true. And I'm feeling the same way this week. Um, I, I don't feel like I did justice to this as much as I wanted to. And so I need your help. I want you guys to be uh, discerning this with me um, so that we might be... Uh, faithful to Christ in the world. Um, so please talk about race, racism, and, and how you've seen it, how you've experienced it. Um, and please also talk amongst yourselves about how our church um, could uh, to bear witness to a, a better way. And um, yeah, I just uh, just speak into this, this camera and I, I'd love to have more engagement. Um, but uh, I, I trust you guys are, are connecting as well. So um, please, please talk about these things. And go now with, uh, with God's blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. And we all said together, Amen. Days of war.